we'll go ahead and turn to uh, Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. As, as you're turning there, um, I'm, I'm probably going to share this the next, so this week and the next three weeks, um, just getting into it. But uh, one of the verses that we have talked about uh, before and, and, and mentioned before going into our time of, of looking at the scriptures is a passage from Psalm 119. Um, verse 68 that says, um, it's a prayer that says, Open my eyes that I could behold wonderful things from your law. And I want us to be praying that. I'm praying that for us today. Uh, God, that you would open our eyes that we could behold wonderful, wonderful things from your word, from your law. Um, but as we pray that, that we would have and know that we have a hope in that prayer. Uh, of course, we talked last week that when we pray, uh, ask and seek and knock, but there's a hope in that. And I want to share with you another follow-up verse on that real quick. You don't have to turn there. Um, it's the last chapter of Luke, Luke chapter 24. Uh, as, as the book is finishing out, it just says this in verse 45. Talking about Jesus. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he opened their minds. What an amazing moment, Right. Jesus is there with the disciples and it says, and he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And then he goes on and continues to teach them. That's why I'm praying for us today, next week, the next week, the next week, every week. Um, But specifically, as we look at these passages, that God will open our minds, open our hearts, that we would understand wonderful things from his law. And so um, today we're going to look at um, Matthew chapter 7, starting with verse 12. We're going to read through 14. Just looking at three verses today, but let's stand together as I read that. Matthew 7, starting with verse 12. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your word. I pray your word to you, God. Open our eyes. Open our minds. That we can understand the scriptures. That we can behold wonderful things from your word today. In Christ's name, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Well, this first verse, verse 12, that we're looking at today is, is a verse that um, most of you are familiar with. If you're parents, you're probably very familiar with it because you rattle this off at your kids uh, a lot. Do unto others as you have them do unto you. Um, that's what? What's, what do we call that? You know the golden rule, right? You know the golden rule. Do others what you have them do to you. So we're going to talk about to start out here. And so um, it's just simply this. The way that I want to be treated should determine the way that I treat other people, right? That's what Jesus is saying here. Just. Plain and simple, the way that I want to be treated, that's how I should treat other people. And really, if we're honest as followers, believers in Christ, this should somewhat be natural for us, right? Not easy and not something that we just automatically do. What I mean is, um, what did Jesus say was the first and greatest commandment and the second greatest commandment? Love God with your whole heart and soul and mind and strength, and then love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. Those are the the foundations. Those are the two most important things for us to do. And so when Jesus says, however you want to be treated, 
That's how you should treat other people. We should already know that. We should already assume that. We should already get that. Because our first and second most important things are, number one, love God. Love God. Love God with our whole heart, with our whole soul, whole mind, all of our strength. And then love our neighbor as much as we love ourselves. So Jesus says here, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. It's a way that God's love is reflected in us. When we love other people, when we treat other people the way that we would like to be treated, then it's God's love that's, that's, that's being shown through us and being reflected on other people. And really, if you think through it, it summarizes, and, and we're going through right now this, if you're new here, um, this whole Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew 5, 6, and 7. It's Jesus preaching this sermon. And so, really, this verse kind of summarizes up to this point anyway, this whole sermon. Because if you think back through, Jesus talked about um, being salt and light. And so asking ourselves, do, do we want other people to be salt and light too and around us? Yes. Do you want other people to be angry with you? No. Then don't. Do you want other people to lust? Do you want them to give to the needy? Do you want them to do this? Do you want? Yeah, we would say that. We would put that on everyone else. But do we put it on ourselves and say, if that's how I want to be treated... All these things that Jesus talked about in the Sermon on the Mount up to this point, if that's how I want others to be, that's how I should be. And if that's how I want other people to treat me, then I want to treat them that way. I want to treat them that way. The thing is, and and we've talked about this over and over and over throughout the whole Sermon on the Mount, we can't do it without Jesus. That's the only way it's possible. This is completely impossible unless Jesus gives us the power to fulfill the truthfulness of of this verse. The only way we can live this way is is if the Holy Spirit is in us, and, and, and that's his first fruit, right? The fruit of being filled with the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit living in us, Galatians 5.22, is first love, right? The fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness. That's the first fruit. That's the, that's, that's the first fruit that's listed about having the Holy Spirit inside of us. So it's impossible to do this without Christ. It's impossible to, to do to other people what we wish that they would do to us or what we want them to do to us without Christ. Romans 5.5 5 says, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We need God's Spirit. We need God to be working through us to enable us to do what He's called us to do. And what He's calling us to do here is to treat others as we would like to be treated. And let me, let me clarify real quick before we move on. This is a positive teaching, not a negative, okay? Because the negative would say this, do not do anything to anyone that you would not want Him to do to you. Right. Or, or let's even break it down even more. If you don't enjoy being robbed, then don't rob others. Right. If you don't enjoy being cursed, then don't curse others. If you don't enjoy being hated, then don't hate others. If you don't enjoy being punched in the face, don't punch people in the face. Right. That would be the negative side. Don't do this. So this won't happen to you either. Right. But this is a positive teaching that Jesus, it's the positive part of what he's talking about. And, and so it, it's more like if you enjoy being loved, then you ought to be loving. If you like to receive things, then give. If you like being appreciated, appreciate others, because because what it's not is it's, it's Jesus isn't saying do unto others so that 
they'll do unto you good things. That's not what it is. It's just be led by the Holy Spirit. Be directed by the Holy Spirit. Be so filled with the Holy Spirit. Live for God. Seek His kingdom so that no matter what anyone else does to you, whatever it is you would like for them to do to you, however it is you want to be treated, then treat others that way. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. What would you like done to you? I mean, really, what would you really, how would you really like to be treated? Then then treat other people that way. Why, he says here, why? For this is the law and the prophets. I mean, remember when Jesus said um, the greatest and, and second greatest commandments, love God with your whole uh, heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself, for on these two things, all of the law and prophets hang. If you can fulfill those two things, then you're fulfilling the rest. If you love God, if you love people, then you're fulfilling those things. It all hangs on that, and and Jesus says it again here. And how do we do that? How in the world do we do that? How How do I treat my kids in a way that I want them to treat me? How do I treat my spouse the way that... I wish that they would treat me. How do I treat my neighbor the way I wish that they would treat me? How do I treat my coworker the way that... You just look at the previous verses, right? I mean, Jesus just said. It wasn't a separate sermon. He just said, ask and it'll be given to you. Seek, you'll find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone that asks receives. And everyone that seeks finds. The one who knocks, the door will be opened. That's... We, we, have to, we need God and we need to be coming before God. Not just for stuff. But for important things, God, I want to fulfill your commands. I want to live for you. I want to show that I love you by how I obey your commandments, because that's what you said. If I love you, I'll keep your commands. And so, God, help. Help me. I'm asking you, please help me to treat other people the way that I want to be treated. I'm going to seek you in that. I'm going to knock and knock and knock, because that's not me. That's not my nature. But it's absolutely your Holy Spirit. And so I'm asking and I'm seeking and I'm knocking because I want to be what you've called me to be. I want to be that. I want to live that way because of Christ, because of you, Lord. He goes on in the passage, verses 13 and 14. It says, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. Now Jesus has laid out up to this point in the Sermon on the Mount what it looks like to live as a part of God's kingdom. This is kingdom characteristics up until this point. And now he, he brings us to this point and, and we've, we've learned all the way up to this point it's not easy. It's not something that we could just listen or read or meditate through this Sermon on the Mount and say, yeah, I think I could do that. I think I figured it out. I think I can live this way. I can do it. I will live and fulfill this great sermon, this great call that that, that Jesus has laid out here. I will never be angry again. I will not lust. I will give to the needy every time that it's necessary or or right to do. I will will be salt. I will be light. I will be, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do it. And people are going to think great things. And then we've already broken everything he's taught there, right? We can't do it. We can't do it. It's hard. We need Christ. And so he's laid out what it looks like to be a part of God's kingdom. 
And we know it's impossible without God empowering us. But now he brings to this point over the next several verses. uh, And we're just going to look at two of them today. But he he brings us to this point and gives us this call to choose. What are we going to do now? This is what it looks like to live in the kingdom. Now, what are you going to do? I think of, uh, of, of Luke chapter 14. Go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 14. Starting with verse 28. Jesus is talking about the cost of discipleship. What it, the cost of following him. Okay. Starting with verse 28, it says, For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be My disciple. I think that's a good picture of what Jesus is doing here. He's taught us what it looks like to live as a part of the kingdom. And then he brings us to this point of, you need to count the cost. Here's your two choices. And and, and he goes on in these next section. He talks about two gates. And the section after that, two kinds of trees. And, And then the next section, two kinds of people. And then there's two kinds of ways that you can build a house. Only two. Only two. Today, what we're going to look at is the two gates. There are two gates, he says. He's laying out the cost so that the disciples that he's preaching to here and you and I can consider whether we will follow or not. Whether we're going to follow Jesus or not. He says there's two gates. One is narrow and one is wide. The first verse of, 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 uh, or the first word of verse 13 says, enter by the narrow gate. It's a command. Jesus is saying, Enter there. Don't just admire it. Don't just look at it. And, and, and certainly that's the temptation. Several people come to church or, or go to conferences or, or even read their Bible and they admire all the things that Jesus has talked about. Verse uh, chapter 5 all the way up through here in chapter 7. They admire these things. Maybe some of you, you look and you admire the, the teachings of Jesus and the ways of Jesus. And it looks and sounds good. I really like that. I respect that. I think that that's a, a good way to live. But have you considered the cost and said, I will follow? Have you entered? Jesus says, enter by the narrow gate. It's not just looking and observing and admiring. It's, it's taking action and following Jesus. It's entering into this life, this walk, this faith that he's called us to. Jesus is saying that everyone, everyone enters one of the gates. There's two gates. So you either enter the narrow or you enter the wide. There's only two gates. There's no in-between. There's no other path. There's just two. He's calling for us today. He's calling for us to enter the one that leads to life. And sometimes um, Christianity gets this, this bad rap that we're very exclusive, right? Um, the gospel is very narrow and very limited. And, and uh, I just want to say to that, I totally agree. <laughs> um, it is. It's the only gospel Jesus gave us. And he says here, if you're going to follow me, the gate is narrow. 
It's the only choice you have for following Jesus. It's a narrow gate. And yes, does it sound like the gospel is exclusive? It is exclusive because it's for those who enter by the narrow gate. And Jesus calls us, enter, enter by the narrow gate. And then he talks about the, the two gates further. He says in, in the rest of verse 13, he says, For, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. The gate and path that Jesus tells us leads to destruction is real. It's real. This is not a story that Jesus made up so that, so that the narrow gate story would sound better. It's real. And Jesus says, there's, you're either on the path that leads to destruction or you're on the path that leads to life. And he warns us in two ways about this wide path that leads to destruction. And two things he says. Number one is it's, it's easy. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. This path that leads to destruction, there's, there's no taking up your cross. You don't, have to, you don't have to bear your cross. You don't have to take up your cross. It's easy. You don't have to deny it. You don't have to deny yourself on the wide path. You don't have to follow Jesus on it. Now, it might include going to church. There may be zeal. There may be, there may be zeal. I mean, people that just look like they're just so passionate about God. Maybe singing, there may be clapping, there might be giving. But he says it's easy. The path that leads to destruction is easy. The second thing he says about it is many enter it. Many enter it. It's heartbreaking. I don't know about you, and, and um, as I looked at those pictures and uh, found a link from a, a, another pastor that um, I follow on Twitter, and, and uh, just looking at this picture after picture of just bodies, just bodies, and uh, I mean, just welling up. There's two paths. And the first part, he says, it's easy, and, and, but many people enter this wide path. Many people enter the wide. It's easy. It's just living life. I just, I'm having a good time. I'm living. And, and, and I even may put this religious plate over top of it. And, and I'm Christian or I'm this or I'm this or I'm this. But, but it's not the narrow gate. It's not following Christ. It's just a label. It's not genuine. It's not what Jesus lays out as, as what it looks like to follow Christ. He says, many will enter it. Many will take the path that leads to destruction. My heart for us is that that, that would sink in. I mean, Jesus in Matthew chapter 23, verse 37, cries out, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you would not. What's Jesus doing? He's, he's weeping over those who are on the wide path. 
because it leads to destruction, eternal, forever destruction. And yeah, Jesus, in this, his heart and his desire is calling us to enter by the narrow way. But as we read that, man, our heart has to weep for those people. And, and, And certainly if we know them, then we have to do something because we know where the path leads. We know where it's headed. We know where it's going. Jesus says it's easy to be on that path. And many enter it, but it leads to destruction. He goes on in verse 14. He says, the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Four things I want to talk about, about the gate and path that Jesus talks about that leads to life. First thing is this, he says it's narrow, it's narrow. Some passages I want to look at. When it talks about it being narrow, it's it's this, it's not just praying a prayer or attending a service or attending an event or signing a card. It's, It's not that. In fact, Matthew, if you just turn a page over, Matthew chapter 10, verses 37 to 38, Jesus is talking about following him and and what it looks like for someone to be devoted to him and follow him. And he says, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life, think wide path, will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. It's not just something you did. It's not just praying a prayer. It's not just signing a card. It's not just going to a certain kind of church. It's not. It's taking up your cross and following Jesus. It's treasuring him, loving him above everything else. Second thing about it being narrow is it's it's only through Christ. It's through Christ alone, through Christ alone that we can enter the gate. Acts chapter 4, verse 12. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. He's talking about Jesus. He is the only way to enter this gate. John 14, verse 6. I am the way. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through me. I'm the gate. I'm the way to this narrow path, this hard path. I'm the way to that. Acts 3.19, it's turning. The narrowness of this is turning from our sin. Love this verse, Acts 3.19. Repent, therefore, and turn again that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. It's repenting, it's turning from sin. It's not just... It's not easy. It involves repentance. It's embracing Christ. It's embracing Christ. We talked about this verse last week, John chapter 1. Verse 12. Most of you may know this verse from, from memory, but it says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Matthew 13, verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure which was hidden in a field which a man found and covered up and in his joy he goes and sells all that he has to buy the field. 
It's that treasure. It's that treasuring of Christ, embracing, receiving all that Christ is for you. And it's a change. It's a change of heart. It's a change of mind. 2 Corinthians verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. This narrow way, it, it's, it's not just this easy coming to church. And, and one time when I was a kid, I went to this Bible club thing or, or to Awana or to, I went to something and, and, and they, they talked to me and said I needed to pray. And, and when I prayed, they told me I was going to heaven and, and I haven't been back to church since. I, I don't even know where to go. I don't, but I know I'm saved because I prayed this little prayer back there. That's, that's not what Jesus says. He says, take up your cross and follow me, receive me, embrace me, turn from your sins. So Jesus says the gate is, is narrow. Second thing he says about it is it's hard. Enter by the narrow gate for the gate is wide and easy that leads to destruction. The gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. That word that we translate for hard, it means this, to press as grapes. It's a compressed way. It's to trouble or to afflict or to distress. You ever read that that way? To trouble or afflict or distress. It's a compressed way. It's to press as grapes. Some verses that, that use the same exact word. And you can just listen as I, as I go to them. And there's, there's, there's others more that use the same term here uh mark 3 9 and he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd lest they crush him same word the way is hard second corinthians 4 verse 8 we are afflicted in every way but not crushed perplexed but not driven to despair it's affliction to be afflicted second corinthians 7 verse 5 for even when we were when we came into macedonia our bodies had no rest but we were afflicted at every turn fighting without and fear within and then hebrews 11 verse 37 they were stoned talking about men of faith women of faith they were stoned they were sawn in two they were killed with the sword they went about in skins of sheep and goats destitute afflicted mistreated that's the word that jesus is using here the gate is narrow and the way is hard the way that leads to life is filled with difficulty and affliction and we shouldn't be surprised at that in fact, that's what Peter tells us in, in 1 Peter chapter twelve or, or chapter 4, verse 12. It says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. The way is hard and, it, and, and we face affliction and difficulty and, and we're no different than, than these men in the scriptures who, who struggled in this life and, and, and faced persecution and affliction. It's hard. It's hard, Jesus says. 
Third thing he says is those who find it are few. Those who find it are few. That's why I think we talked about this verse last week, but 1 Corinthians eleven twenty eight, where Paul tells us to examine ourselves to see if we're in the faith. That's why it's good to do that. Examine yourself to see if you're on the narrow path. And then rejoice. We ought, to be, we ought to be so joy-filled. Yes, because we have the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit fills us with love and joy. But as followers of Christ, we ought to be so filled with joy. If we look down and we see this path is narrow and filled with affliction, we ought to be filled with joy because Christ led us to this path. God brought us to this path. He brought us to this gate that's narrow, Christ. We ought to be so filled with joy that he, that he has brought us to this afflicted path. Some of you might be thinking, and maybe the disciples were thinking this, as they knew the meaning of that word. What are you selling here? This doesn't sound very good. You just said the one is easy and this is hard. And it's filled with affliction and difficulty and tough things, and it's narrow and not many people find it. What? This is like, this is your message? This is the good? The fourth thing is, it's worth it. It's worth it. Because it's the only path that leads to life. It's the only path that God has given us that leads to life, and it's absolutely worth it. Whatever it brings, whatever difficulty or affliction, and it will. Whatever persecution it brings, and it will. Whatever it brings, it's worth it. A couple of verses in, in uh, first one in Hebrews again. Chapter 11, verses, um, excuse me, chapter 10, verses 32 through 34. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. The writer of Hebrews says this, you you endured that, you joyfully went towards that. And that's literally what he's saying. You saw those who were in prison, you saw those who were being afflicted and you went towards them knowing that you would suffer the same affliction if you went to help them. But you joyfully endured it because you knew you had a better possession. You knew you had something better coming. Matthew 13, 44, right? It's that treasure that's, that's hidden. And when we find it, we realize this is the greatest thing. Christ is the greatest thing that we could ever have. And so whatever affliction, whatever trouble, whatever persecution, whatever it is, this way, this narrow way is worth it. Because I get Christ. I get Jesus. And that's the goal. That's the desire. It's not heaven. In fact, we were talking in in, uh, life group this week from uh, John chapter 14. John chapter 14 is that that verse that um, comes up at funerals a lot. And and we talk about heaven a lot. It's where Jesus is talking to the disciples. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Now, Jesus has just told them, one of you is going to forsake me, deny me. Turn me in. Turn me over to the authorities. They're going to completely turn their back on me. And another one of you is going to deny me three times. And he's also told them that I'm going to leave. And I'm not going to, you're not going to be able to come 
to where I'm at. You're not going to be able to find me. You're not going to be with me. So the disciples are pretty troubled. They're afflicted. They're, they're, they're in difficulty, right? But Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God and believe in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. You're like, okay, here's the reward. Here's the reward. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? Now listen to what he says here. And if I go and prepare that place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. To me. I'm the treasure. I'm the reward. I'm what you get for this. You get to be with me. And for the disciples, that would have been enough. That, that was what was afflicting them, was that he was leaving them. They, they, they wouldn't be with him anymore. And for them, it's like, that's all we want. We just want to be with you. You're the son of God. You're the great treasure. You're the light of the world. You're the one who gives us hope. And, and you're the, you have the words of eternal life. We just want you. Jesus says, enter by the narrow way, and it's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. You're going to face affliction and persecution and difficulty, but it's worth it because it leads to life. It leads to me. And even though those who find it are few, you get me. You get me. Let me end by just prayerfully getting us to think through a couple of things. First of all, um, if you don't know Christ, and, and, and as you read through this, and we're going we're gonna to talk about these things for the next couple of weeks, um, Jesus kind of takes this from different perspectives over these next sections. But if you don't know Christ, and if you look and you know this, I'm on the wide path, I know that I'm not following Christ, I know I haven't surrendered to Him, I'm, I'm going to challenge you, I'm going to encourage you today to do that i I want you to picture what's happening here jesus is in front of all these people and and he lays it out he says this is what it is this is what it looks like to live as a part of the kingdom and 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 let me tell you enter by the narrow way enter by the difficult way enter by the hard way enter the the difficult path because it leads to life now the other path is easy and many people find the other path and many people enjoy the other path and many people other take to the other path but it leads to destruction so so enter the narrow gate If you've never done that, if you've never surrendered to Christ, if you've never given yourself to him, if you've never embraced him as who he really is, the treasure of the world, if you've never repented of your sins and turned away from that to cling to Christ, who who, even as we talked about earlier as we took communion, who gave his life to pay for our sins so it would be possible that those sins could be forgiven and, 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 and we could be clean before God. If you've never done that, I want to I challenge you and encourage you. And, and just as Christ, I'm going to plead with you to come and enter by the narrow gate today. And there's people here who would love to pray with you. I would love to pray with you. We're going to sing a song in a minute. And, and if you just want to come and sit on the front and just wait, and I'll pray with you afterwards, or someone will come and, and pray with you. But if you're a follower of Christ, I want to encourage you. As I've read through this passage, as I've prayed through this passage this week, number one, rejoice. 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 God is so unbelievably gracious. So gracious. 
if you are on that narrow path, if you've been forgiven, if you've been cleaned of your sins, if God has come in and rescued you from that path that leads to destruction, rejoice. And then don't just rejoice, but be a proclaimer of that. And pray that, that your heart would weep and break for those who aren't on that path. That we would see this. And here's what I think happens sometimes for all of us, for me too, okay? We just, we're just happy that we're on the path and we forget that there's another path. We forget that this is real. That the, the path that leads to destruction is absolutely real. And that there's going to be a moment, there's going to be a time when everyone stands before God and gives an account before him. If they were on the narrow path, then it leads to life forever. But if they're not, if they're on the wide path, then it leads to a literal, genuine destruction. And I think we just kind of, we forget about that. We don't think about that. And it doesn't well up as a rejoicing and a passion inside of us that causes me to say, that's not okay Jesus wasn't okay with that. He wept over those that were on that path. And he pleaded, O Jerusalem, O Jerusalem, I would have gathered you as a hen gathers her chicks. But you wouldn't come. That we wouldn't be okay with that. That we would be proclaimers of of grace. That we would be proclaimers of love. That we would be proclaimers of truth. That we would live through the power of the Holy Spirit, this amazing kingdom life that Jesus has laid out in in chapters 5, 6, and and up to this point in 7. That we would live it, that we would be salt, that we would be light. That we wouldn't just expect everyone else in the church to do that. That we would be and do to others and treat others the way we would want them to treat us. And if they found us walking on that path that leads to destruction, how would we want them to treat us? What would we want them to say to us? How would we want them to live in front of us? Jesus says, do that. 